Welcome back to People Analytics Podcast. My name is Lindsay Patton, and I am your host. Today, I have Michael Yinger, a Resume C founder. Welcome, Michael, and thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Lindsay. I'm glad to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so tell me a little bit who you are, what you do, why you do it. <laughs> why? There's always a good one. Well, I, I've, I'm one of the founders of Resume Sieve. Uh, it's a technology in the recruiting space, and we've been at it for almost two years. Before that, I was in uh, talent acquisition for almost 20 years, working with a, a variety of companies, primarily in the outsource space. And I, I like to think of talent acquisition as my third career. The, uh, the others uh, have long since passed, but it's been 20 years of looking at hiring, looking at people, looking at the processes, looking at the tools to improve the experience and improve the process. Yeah. So optimization is a huge part of what you do. Um, what have been some challenges in HR um, that haven't been optimized? Oh, boy. You know, it, it, you could almost say just about everything because, of course, it's going to depend on the company. It's going to depend on the situation. But, it, you know, very often, particularly working with clients, you, you look at things like, how do they handle the candidates? How do they handle the transition from the hiring process to onboarding? That's a, that's a big one that, that people lose track of, and it really can be very sour. How do they handle the people who are involved in the process? So there's, there, there's a world of opportunity <laughs> when it comes to uh, optimization targets within an organization. And uh, I think I've worked on most of them at one point or another. <laughs> so specifically, when we connected, um, you talked about sourcing. Um, so how do we improve that? Um, you know, what are some of the challenges that you see in sourcing? And what are solutions that you see are working really well? Sure. So sourcing is, is a hot topic these days, as you might imagine, with the, the, the mismatch between available people and available jobs. And one of the things that I've been talking with people about advocating lately is in traditional recruiting, sourcing is the first thing you do, right? And usually what that means is you post the job. And so that's when you get all these people, a lot of whom are not really suitable for the job for one reason or other. So you spend all your time going through all these people to get down to the few that might. What I've been talking to people about is You've got three pools of, of candidates already. Why aren't you looking at those? You've got the, the, your internal folks. Is there somebody internally who can do the job? Is there somebody that you've talked to in the past who can do the job? Are there referrals from within your company or your network who can do the job? Those are all going to be easier kind of connections because you're going to know a lot more about the person. You're going to be able to make a decision much more effectively. Then let's go out to the marketplace and draw from the pool. The impact of this is you're looking at less people because the people, most of the people that you look at are unqualified anyway. So it's not as if you're excluding anybody. It's you're, you're creating the possibility of bringing in a more suitable candidate more quickly, shortening the hiring process, finding the right person. So it's, it's a real interesting opportunity, especially these days. I, I just give you a, a one brief example. We posted a sales job very clearly said you needed to have SaaS experience 
Mm-hmm. You needed to have experience in the applicant tracking space. The most qualified candidate I got out of 195 people was selling gardening. Oh, wow. He thought he was qualified. And he was the most qualified candidate that I got. Everybody else was just patently, they just didn't have anything that the job description called for. Now, that's on the people, right? These are people who are posting for jobs that they, they don't fit. You know, the, the, so much of what candidates are doing today is that shotgun approach. Um, even though there are a lot more jobs than there are people, they're not necessarily the jobs that, that we all want, right? I mean, there are plenty of jobs in the food service industry or in the hospitality industry. And, you know, if you're looking for something a little more, there still is a lot of competition for those better jobs. But man, going through 195 people and not finding a single one who was qualified and what, you know, we, so we changed our tactics and we're using the kind of tactics that I was talking about. We're, we're, we're hitting our network. We found a couple of qualified people and, and we're, we're much more satisfied with them as a match to what we're looking for than the traditional method of just putting it out there and waiting to see what happens. Yeah. And for me personally, I found, you know, the opportunities that fit me best are the ones that um, either come from people I know or referrals because they know what my work is like. They know my personality. And I think there's, you know, there's absolute value in that kind of matchmaker method. <laughs> sure. Sure. There, there's some investment too, right? They, you, yeah. you know, somebody's not likely to to refer somebody who isn't you know, isn't going to do a good job because look what happens to your reputation and your relationship if you're referring, you know, somebody not qualified. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, what? how are you minimizing that time that it's taking to find those qualified candidates? You know, because you, sifting through nearly 200 resumes, that's that's a lot of time. Well, so without attempting to make a plug, that's what our software does. Uh, you, you, you feed in the candidates, you create the job description in the system, you can import it in and, and, uh, fill it out very quickly. The, the, what I just described, feeding in the candidates and creating the job description, five, 10 minutes worth of work, seriously. And, and then you sieve them. That's what we call it. And you end up with the, the candidates rank ordered by the criteria that you selected. And, you know, realistically, reviewing 195 candidates, that's, you know, maybe if you're really fast, that's, uh, you know, a couple of hours worth of work. And how carefully are you reviewing them? And how effectively are you reviewing the 50th or the 75th and so forth, right? It's just, you know, you, you, you break down in terms of your your effectiveness. And so, again, that's that's what our tool is intended to do to to assist the recruiter in going through what is a fairly important, very important and tedious portion of the recruiting process, which is that uh, candidate evaluation stage. Surprisingly, a lot of applicant tracking systems don't do this. And so it's, it falls to the recruiter pretty consistently. You know, there there's some, some general, some of the more sophisticated systems have some ranking and whatnot. But uh, for example, we have, we've partnered with four different uh, ATSs so far, we're, we're talking to some others, who, who just acknowledge that they don't have this capability. And so we're partnered with them, meaning their users can use our tool integrated within their system. And uh, just to give them the opportunity to be more effective in how they're doing their evaluation. Mm -hmm. So what ways do you think uh, applicant tracking systems have improved 
hiring and uh, what challenges do they still have to face in the down the road? Well, I think they, you know, clearly they have made it easier to keep track of things. One of the, um, one of the projects I did early in my talent acquisition career was to, I was recruiting on behalf of a a client, uh, 60 recruiting coordinators, and I used Excel. Oh boy. (laughs) What am I capturing? How am I capturing? Because this was a while ago, right? This was a while ago. And so what the ATS has done for us is it has systematized the process. So on the one hand, that's good because now we can we can have some process consistency. And of course, now we have a, 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 a reliable system of record. On the other hand, we're perhaps constraining people. They feel like they have to follow these steps of the process. And depending on how you set your ATS up, that can be either very complex or not complex enough. I, I've worked with some clients where they, you know, they would say, well, I want to be able to measure this. And I would say to them, well, you can't. And I'd say, why not? It's because when you set this up, you didn't put those things in. You, those steps don't exist. So there, there, there's some pluses and minuses, of course, of, of any system. Although I think on on balance, there, there are a lot of detractors to the concept of an, of an applicant tracking system. And and my my comment back to them is, well, what would you do instead you know, at some point, you have some accountability to keep track of what's going on with the process. If you've got a recruiter who's got thirty recs day in, day out, how do you? How would you keep track of those? You, you want them to create folders in Excel? You know, are the ATSs perfect? No, and, and they're they're flavors of all sorts of flavors of ATS, as you can imagine, right? Everybody thinks that they've got the, the greatest system in the world. We're a small company. And so we actually built our own ATS, which is we used a, a, a process tool called Monday.com and we put the steps in because we only need to keep track of a few things because we're hiring at this point, you know, uh, one or two people a quarter. And so it's, it's a pretty straightforward process for us. And there are tools like that in the marketplace that, you know, you, you don't have to get really sophisticated with this. I think that the one of the challenges in the marketplace is that the salespeople, and I'm not knocking salespeople because I've been a salesperson, they push the bells and whistles. Most of the time, you don't need them. You know, and I won't name names. And one of the one of the largest ones in the market, it, it just has so many features, nobody can keep track of it. And so there's a challenge, if you will, for the recruiters. How, you know, I was explaining this to somebody on my team the other day that very often the people who are using these systems have no idea how they work. They can't. They're way too complicated. All they're doing, they're following their steps in the process. And if it comes outside that step, they don't know what to do or they don't do it. They don't know that they've missed something because they, you know, it's these systems are so complicated. Aside from the fact that a lot of the time we're asking the recruiters to be in multiple systems, not just the ATS. They're in a CRM for keeping track of their leads. They're in some other system to order background checks. They're in some other system to set up interviews. They're in some other system to onboard their their folks. They're in some other system to do their email. And that's if they're lucky that it's only that many systems. Sourcing, you know, how many different sourcing tools are there? You know, are you making your recruiters do, oh boy, there's a, there's a whole opportunity there in terms of the usage of technology, because what do you want the recruiters doing? Do you want them doing technology or do you want them hiring people? 
It's so important because, um, yeah, one of Staff Geek's tools helps companies and organizations help determine their culture. And so they do that by there's only six points. And, you know, the business leaders, they get one page so that they can understand and there's no jargon. And I think it's so important, like you said, to empower the people who are doing the hiring. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's another one of the things that I've I've been talking about lately is is just that recruiter conversation, especially in today's market. It's been a sales conversation for a long time, right? It, it, particularly if you're trying to convince, you know, somebody that you really want to come join you. It's it's really it's a sales conversation, especially today. And so, how do you empower the recruiter to be doing what you need them to do, which is to be building a rapport with the candidate such that the candidate is choosing you versus choosing one of the other six alternatives that they have. Because most people, they've got five, six, seven recruiters chasing them if they're actively in the market. Because of course, that's the other interesting thing about what's going on in the market. Sure, we have the great resignation, but we still only have about 30% of the market defined as active job seekers. So, you know, the, the people, if, if you're an active job seeker, somebody's after you because they, they know that you're out in the market. It's, it's interesting times. I, good if you're a job seeker, although for, it can be frustrating too. I, you know, I, you, you certainly hear those kind of stories, the frustrations of being in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk about uh, how applicant tracking systems can help uh, cut down on hiring bias too. Uh, can you talk on that topic a little bit? Yeah, there, there are a couple of ways that they've been doing that for quite some time, um, although these are configurations, right? So a company doesn't have to use them. That's always the challenge. The um, recruiter in the initial stages can be, you can shield from them the gender and ethnicity. And so that helps reduce some of the, uh, the recruiter bias. Now, there are some add-on tools these days. I was looking at one not too long ago that actually normalize the resume by taking off all the dates, taking off the names of the schools where there's really nothing left but the skills and the experience. And that's what you're making evaluation on. I, I, I think the jury may be out on going that far, but it is something that, that, that people very much talk about. The real challenge is not the applicant tracking system itself. Okay, it's possible that you've got recruiters who are demonstrating some sort of bias. And you should be able to tell that by doing analysis. What, what do the slates look like? Uh, you know, if they have a target of having a certain amount of ethnicity and, and gender in their slates, but they don't have it, then you have a chance to look at, you know, where are they sourcing? Where are they finding their candidates? How are they evaluating who makes it onto the hiring? The challenge at the end of the day is what happens when the slate of potential interviews goes to the hiring manager. And who does the hiring manager select to interview? And then ultimately, who does the hiring manager select to hire? That's training. You got, you got to have training in that mix because people generally don't realize that they have unconscious bias. People who are pretty good about it realize they have unconscious bias. It doesn't mean that they've eliminated it. They just know that it's there, right? You can begin to take steps. So the, the ATS can do some things around masking that, that take some of that out of the equation. A, a, a tool like ours doesn't look at anything that has to do with gender and ethnicity. It's only looking at skills and experience. And so, you know, 
sort of de facto, there's no, you know, there's no evaluation of that facet of a person's persona that comes in when people bring it in. Now, one, one of the things that the AI systems have, have, have been challenged with and continue to work on is that, of course, they function because someone tells them what worked or what didn't work, right? There's the feedback loop back into the AI. And that's where the unconscious bias starts to creep in because it's people making feedback. And so they continue to work on how do you, how do you eliminate the, the bias? And a lot of it has to do with just looking at the results. You just can't trust the system to be consistently unbiased. You have to continue to look at it simply because the system doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? There's no perfect definition of what is, uh, you know, biased and unbiased. It's all has to do with how the system was built. It's 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 an interesting challenge. I, I, I was reading an article just recently that about how would you define an unbiased AI system? Because the very different definition of unbiased is a biased one because you have an opinion. It's it's it, it's an interesting conundrum. And and you know, some people have moved away from just this pure, um, you know, sort of AI driven. Uh, in our case, it's not AI, it's an algorithm. Again, it's based on, do you have the skills or you don't? D- you know, d- did you go to school or you didn't? The systems that, that, that take that sort of algorithmic approach inherently have less tendency to be biased when the, the analysis is completed. So I want to talk about, you know, what we can do as humans, uh, you know, to acknowledge that internal bias. Um, and one thing that you do and you support is coaching within the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Bias exists. We, we all, to deny bias is to be blinded, right? We all have it. You look at the choices that you make. You look at how your kids turn out. All these things you can, if if you're somewhat self-aware, you can begin to see what your own biases are. And what you can do with coaching is to help people see what their biases are. In a sense, there's a bit of an overcorrection that has to go on, and sometimes it's just shining the light on it makes people more aware. You know, you you say to a hiring manager. Did you notice that everybody in your department wears the same clothes every day? You know, that's a silly example, but it's, you know, you've, you've hired a bunch of people who are all demographically the same. Is that, is that really what you want to do? I, I have a, a good friend who's a tremendous salesperson, and he still, even after all these years, can't figure out why he can't hire other salespeople who are successful because he keeps trying to hire himself. And he's a tremendous contributor, tremendously effective, not so good at finding somebody who's like him, because in the end, it, you know, is that really what you need? It's, it, it, so the, the coaching, this becomes very personal, right? Because this becomes, you, know, you can have the department-wide meetings and talk about unconscious bias and all the rest, and everybody is going gonna, is gonna to manifest bias in a different way. And you have to coach individually based on that manifestation. So there's an interesting, you know, opportunity for where are you in the organization? Is this because of the hiring managers who are doing something or are you trying to coach your recruiters because you're seeing tendencies? First, it means you've got to be using analytics to understand what things look like so that you can show people without being um, uh, vague 
what's going on. And then you can begin to talk about, you know, what the, what the causes are and, and how you overcome those. As, as, as there's a, certainly a, at least a three-step effort there to get past this for most people. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it's difficult to sit in this, that discomfort yet discomfort is absolutely necessary. Um, you know, how do you encourage people that, you know, discomfort doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing? You know, the, the, the thing about coaching that I've learned is you have to be coachable and some people are right because they're caught up in their own self-image or they're, um, they feel insecure and admitting to coaching makes them feel vulnerable. Self-awareness is a tricky thing. And in, you know, in, in some, you know, for some people, they just, they never get it, right? They're, we certainly could point to some public figures who have no sense of, of, you know, sort of self-awareness. And I'm not making a political statement. It's, this happens all across the board, right? And in a, in a business situation, if someone is not open to coaching, what you're kind of left with is uh, directive. And, you know, this, this comes down to the coach recognizing the coachability of his, his or her people such that they can use the right coaching technique. And for some people, they need to be told. And then that needs to be reinforced. And, and of course, we all know that you know, negative reinforcement in particular isn't long lasting. And, and sometimes that's what you're going to have to do with people. Uh, and where the behavior doesn't move in a way that you want it to move, you have to be prepared to take action. That's, you know, that's just part of the, part of the game that you've got to be able to do, but that, that's what it is. It's, you know, it, if, if we really wanted to make this a sports analogy, if somebody's on the field and you're playing baseball and they're wearing swim flippers, and they don't want to come off the field because they don't recognize that swim flippers aren't effective in baseball. Well, you have to fire them. You know, you have to, you, have to, you know, whatever you have to do. Those are the tough things that you have to do as a manager. You know, this is a holistic thing, right? You can't just start with this. You know, you got to create the coaching environment so people feel that you're in it to support them. And this is something that is often lost that you know, why am I coaching you? I'm coaching you so that you can become successful. Sure, that helps the company. And this is about you becoming successful in doing what you're doing for us, with us, right? It, 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 it's all about getting the everybody who's in the boat rowing in the same direction mm-hmm. and rowing with the same sort of, uh, you know, uh, methodology. I, I, I love the concept and it's a very individualized pursuit. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So what, uh, you know, do you look for in, you know, other people, uh, you know, bringing them on as coaches and, you know, supporting them as coaches as, as yourself being a leader? I think the, f- the first thing, and this is true for more than just coaching, you got to have some self-awareness. Uh, if, if you're, if you're touchy, if you're, um, difficult to, uh, if you don't accept feedback, if you're difficult to coach, you're not going to be very effective as a coach. You're going to, you're going to default to telling. And so the the first thing I look for is self-awareness. What goes along with that is a certain amount of empathy. I'm not suggesting we go overboard uh, because in the, in the end, if we're talking about a business setting, which I think we are, 
you know, there's a purpose for being in the business setting. There's a purpose for the business, irrespective of the industry or whatever. You know, you, you've got goals. You're attempting to get to those goals. So you, you do have to have some empathy to someone's, con, um, you know, situation and condition because people will respond to coaching differently. You know, some people, that, you know, some people want to be shown examples. Some people want to be taught. And then that's the probably the third characteristic is can you know, is, is there the ability to read people to provide that sort of differential experience that it isn't all cookie cutter. I had, I had a boss once and, and he had a very simple approach. He was, he was, um, he was a Texan. I'm just painting a picture here. And so he was, he was crazy like a Fox, right? He had that Southern accent and, and, you know, you, you thought, well, you know, this guy, he's laid back. Now he said, you know what you do? You treat everybody like a truck. Every once in a while, they need to be washed. They need some gas. They need some preventative maintenance. He had a very simple approach. And that's not going to work in today's environment because people people won't respond to that, right? People won't respond to be treated the same as everybody else. And in, in an environment where people are making choices now about how they feel about the, the work environment, you know, it's it, those are the companies that are going to be successful that are paying attention to those things. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, our culture has for a long time um, painted the boss as an authority figure. And as you know, a result, you there's this role that you have to fill um, or ha- you feel like you're pressured to, to act like uh, when that isn't necessarily what helps uh, organizations grow and helps uh, workers be felt supported. Yep, it's it's if anything, it's more complicated these days to to be in a leadership role, and that's okay. It's you've got to deal with the external pressures, you've got to deal with the internal pressures, you've got to deal with people. You, you know, we've we've been talking for years about the generational thing, right? The difference between Gen X and Gen Z, and and how you have to manage those folks. The reality is. It's even more complex than that because you know, not every Gen Xer wants to be treated the same. Uh, people respond to things differently, and you run the risk of your team not functioning as a whole if you, as the leader, aren't aware of what it takes for individuals to tick. Now, some of this, you know, it's going to vary depending on where you are dealing in the organization, right? I mean, you know, if you're if you're talking about people um, loading a truck. Maybe, you know, there's a little more direction that's going on than there is, you know, coaching. You start to talk about people on the phone or people managing people. Where you have to to play as a coach is going to vary depending on where you are in, in the work cycle. And, and sometimes that's the trickiest part because even, even people who are leaders are moving their way up through leaders, you know, they're, they're looking for the, you know, the simple answer. This, and and my advice is that it's not simple. And so just deal with that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't expect something that's not going to happen. Deal with it. <laughs> As the glasses come down. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, this has been such a great conversation, Michael. I really appreciate the time speaking with you. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, I'd like to give you a chance to plug anything cool that you're doing or um, offer a way for people to reach out to you. 
Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, certainly on uh, social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and and uh, Facebook. You can find me, Michael Yinger, not hard to find me. Uh, I'm at Resume Civ, Michael at ResumeCiv.com, so it's pretty easy to email me. We're finding some some really interesting conversations helping the, the applicant tracking systems become more effective. And so if you're an applicant tracking vendor uh, user and you're ha- still struggling with the evaluation of candidates, let's have a conversation. Be happy to, to, to show you what we can do and, and how we can make that part of your process easier. Other than that, it's, uh, it's just exciting being uh, you know, in the conversation as uh, talent acquisition continues to evolve. Absolutely. And again, my name's Lindsay Patton. I'm host of People Analytics. And if you know anyone or are someone like Michael who's making the people space a better place for all, feel free to reach out with, to me, Lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.